Today I wanted to talk with you in short about God's design for water baptism. God's design for water baptism. And what I thought of doing is, is taking some of the most asked questions that are most pressing and answering them today. The first question is, is baptism necessary for salvation? Is baptism necessary for salvation? The answer is obviously no. Because you can go to Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Not and baptism, but by, through, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this faith not yours, the faith that God gives you. This is a gift from God, this faith. Not a result of your works. Your baptism doesn't make you saved. Otherwise, we can take your unsaved child, throw him through the water, and he'll come out saved. But we know that this is not a biblical doctrine because we see throughout scriptures even the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus Jesus gave him that promise and said today I tell you you will be in paradise with me that man died right there without getting baptized and saw Christ in paradise so the question is baptism necessary for salvation no it is not just like generosity is not necessary for salvation but saved people are generous you just saw the video on the Reformation, on how that was turned around. The cart was placed before the horse. And they were saying that it is your generosity that saves. It is not. That's what was wrong, and that's what Luther came to set right. It wasn't people's alms and people's giving that caused anybody to get out of hell. No. It is people who are saved love giving. You coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, but since you are a Christian, you love coming to church. <laughs> because saved people love gathering together with the body. Saved people love worshiping. Worshiping does not save you, but if you're saved, you love to worship. These are things that are natural to the new creature. So, is baptism necessary for salvation? No. You'll find that even the Apostle Paul said, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. Well, how can the Apostle Paul say, I'm, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you, if in fact salvation of fallen man was his goal? Because baptism is not what saves us. But baptism is something saved people do always. Number two, what changes now that I'm baptized? If it doesn't save me, why get baptized? Well, first, God commanded us to. It's almost like asking, well, if God is sovereign, why pray? Well, why wouldn't you do it if He asked you to do it? That's the first, that's the first argument, right? <laughs> well, what, what changes when I get baptized? Well, a lot changes when you get baptized, but let me just tell you, the first thing is you get baptized because the heart that was touched by God suddenly wills to obey. God works in you both to will and do His good pleasure. If God is working in a heart, there's a willingness. And if God said, follow Christ through baptismal waters, and so we do, we will do just that. Others will get baptized because they are appealing to God for a clear conscience. Second Peter. Others are getting baptized because they are making a public declaration of their, of their faith that they have in Christ. They are on the outward showing what happened on the inside. It's an illustration. It's a dramatic, a dramatized illustration 
of what happened to you spiritually. You were buried in that water grave. You had died to yourself. You were buried, died to the world, died to yourself, dead to sin. And you're in that water grave. And as you come out, you come out in Christ Jesus, alive unto God, resurrected in Christ. So it's an illustration. It's a symbol. It's a dramatic illustration and a dramatic symbol of what is spiritually true for you. But then what changes now that I've been baptized? And I wanted to put it in the past tense only because many of you already have been baptized, but today 11 more of you are getting baptized. So if you have already been baptized, this is really good for you. It's a reminder. It's almost like going to a funeral. You're, rem you're reminded of your faith in Christ. It's almost like going to a, to a wedding. You're reminded of your commitments that you have, you know, to your spouse. It's always wonderful to attend those events. But today, you get an opportunity to be reminded of what happened to you when you got baptized. And for those of you who are getting baptized, it's a teaching as to what will change for you. And for those of you that haven't made a decision yet, this is an encouragement. You see, baptism is a symbolic act, but what we sometimes don't realize is just how powerful symbols really are in our lives. Symbols transfer stat or transform status from one position to another position. How many of you know, many people, after getting married, the first thing they do is they go to their Facebook page and they change their status, right? It's a change in status. When the president or the, or the, the, the incumbent stands in front of the whole world in Washington, D.C., with his hand on supposedly the Bible, and the other one, he, there's a change of status. He may have first been a senator or maybe a businessman, but he changes his status to being president right at that moment. A change of status. And symbolism is used to show there's now a change of status. Even though a wedding ceremony is practically and simply just an event that we have a lot of fun at, it does, however, signify a change of status. You see, the wedding ceremony symbolizes that a single male now changes his status and becomes a married male, a husband, while a single female changes her status and becomes a wife. The father giving the bride away is a symbol. It symbolizes the daughter leaving his care as he gives her away, and as the husband now, her future husband, takes her from the father, it symbolizes that he now takes responsibility to care for her. That's a, it symbolizes a change in status. Are you all following me? You see, the, during the wedding ceremony, uh, the couple getting married usually takes, an, takes each take a candle, and they go to a third candle, and they both use their candles to light this third candle, and then they blow out their single candle. They're no longer single. They have now become one. That symbolizes the unifying of two lives. Now, in the same way, baptism symbolizes a person's change in status. You were living for self, but as you died yourself and you come out of that water, you now, your life now belongs to God. You were guilty of sin, but you show in a very dramatic way, you illustrate how you have now become righteous in Christ. You, you, you were an orphan, but now you are a member in the body of Christ. When we baptize, the Bible says you are baptized into one baptism 
into one body. In other words, when you are baptized, it illustrates in a dramatic way how you become one in Christ, in His body, with the church. That's why oftentimes people are required to be baptized in order to become part of a church. You have changed status. Matthew 28, 18 and 20 says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow that I follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. I always wondered when I read that baptize, get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What, what even does that mean? <clears throat> you see, we are baptized into the name of the Father, into His Son's name, and into the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a renaming ceremony. We now carry the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our, our relationship with God does not begin at baptism, but baptism is when it's made public. I'm revealing to the world, I am now in, I now have adopted, been adopted, and I now have been given a brand new name. It's a renaming ceremony. Baptism declares that you are in Christ, and you have died with Him, and you are now risen in Him. In other words, when Jesus was saying, and uh, um, all authority in earth and heaven has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name. You can say into the name. To say to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is baptizing, you being baptized into that brand new name. You now have a brand new family name. It's a naming, a renaming ceremony. We're asking the question, what has changed now that I'm baptized? So first, baptism is a change in status. Officially, I'm declaring I'm, I was dead. To, uh, I am now dead to self. Uh, I'm not dead to sin in the world. I'm now alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that means now that I'm alive in Christ, I have a brand new identity. And if there's ever something that this generation struggles with, it's identity. Identity is just, becomes everything. Do I have to explain this to you? <laughs> I mean, people will even hate you for using a wrong pronoun. Even though yours is scientific and theirs is not, doesn't matter. Identity is just a big problem. Politicians win seats by playing that game. But I can tell you that when it comes to scriptures, God, God already fixed all of this. There isn't a future problem God hasn't already fixed. But here, through baptism, you have a brand new identity. I am first in Christ before I am in my natural family, before I'm in this nation, before I'm in a specific group, wealthy, poor, doesn't matter. I am first a Christian before I'm anything, right? My priority identity is in Christ. I have changed my status. I no longer identify with Adam, but I now identify with the lost Adam, Jesus. So I don't identify with 
My past, I identify with Christ. I no longer identify with my sin, but with Christ's righteousness. I no longer identify with citizenship on earth, but my citizenship in heaven. And my family that I identify with, the body of Christ, is made up of all nationalities and all people's groups. That's why he says, go into all the world and preach to every nation and every tribe and every tongue. And that's my family that I identify with. Secondly, baptism is a, we see as a naming, a renaming ceremony from fatherless orphan to adopted child of God, from slave to son, from sinner to saint, from lost to found, from dead to alive. Baptism is an official ceremony where the change in status is made public and is made official for all to know. It's me saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm going to say so. How? In a very dramatic way. And what dramatic way? I'm going to have you throw me deep down under the water into a water grave and pull me back up like, like everybody's watching this dramatic illustration of my testimony. Knowing you have a new status makes all the difference in how you live out your life, doesn't it? In moments of guilt and fear, in moments of frustration and despair, look back to your moment of baptism and identify with your new status. Literally, I mean, this is a big deal for today. People don't know where to look in order to figure out what they can identify with. You know, they, they look to strange things <laughs> and identify with it. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> the government has officially validated over 100 genders. Now, if... if <laughs> what else do they want us to identify with? They want you to identify with the poor, or they want you to identify with skin tone. You want, they want you to identify with something because that works for them. And so, but, but the Bible is very clearly written to override all of these challenges people, uh, people have in modern world. And we have an identity. You and I, family member of God in Christ, we have an identity together as the body of Christ. And that is why we changed our church name to Christ Nation. Because it was the thing that spoke to the fact that, look, we're passing through. We're actually not really of this world. We aren't citizens here. We're just passing through. We are citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. So knowing that you have a status makes all the difference in how you live out your life. Because in moments of fear and guilt and frustration, despair, all you have to do is look back to your baptism and go, that's my identity. That's who I am. Look back to that moment and identify with your new status. Why? Because that tells you you're hidden in Christ. Don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. You, God wants you to come to the point where your fear of death is not the fact that you're going to die. The only fear you have of dying is how you possibly might die. <laughs> That's the only thing that we should not be overly excited about. <laughs> Why? Because you're hidden in Christ. 
You're hidden in Christ when that fear comes knocking on your door. Go back to the moment you were baptized. That's who I am. I'm already dead to self, and I'm already risen in Christ. What do I have to fear? I am hidden in Christ. You are dead to sin and alive unto righteousness. That is who you are. When sin comes knocking on your door, that's who you are. You're the person who's alive unto righteousness. Why? Because you identify with your baptism. It is no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. You have a brand new name. You're a son. You're a daughter of God, the Father, sovereign over the whole universe. That's who your dad is. And you have to identify by reminding yourself of your baptism. Thirdly, baptism is a funeral service. Becoming a Christian and getting baptized is a way of way uh, more radical than what people really think for it to be. Let me just say that. Becoming a Christian and getting baptized is way more radical than people treat it. It's not just a set of beliefs or a change of opinion. It's a death and it's a rebirth. It's a death, a burial, and a rebirth. We die with Christ and we are reborn with Christ. So your baptism is like that funeral service which marks the death of your old self. And that is what happens as you are covered with water. You are, being, you are marking your burial right there. It's a big moment. And we're about, to, we're about to see that moment happen this afternoon. That's what happens when you're covered with water. It marks your burial. But when you come out of that water, that moment marks your new birth as you are reborn in Christ. Like a newborn child, you are given a new name and you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Into that name, you are now become, you have become a brand new heavenly, member of the heavenly royal family. That's who you are. So in this way, baptism are both a tomb and a womb. A place for the burial of your old self and a place for the rebirth of your new self. Third question I'd like to cover is, when am I supposed to get baptized? Many people um, struggle with this, and they keep on putting it off. But when am I supposed to get baptized? When I am a mature Christian? When I become a member of a church? When I graduate from high school? <laughs> when it's me making a decision versus my parents? So the, uh, the answer to that question is, when a person puts their faith in Christ Jesus, that's time for them to get baptized. Yeah, but they don't know a lot. Baptism is not, does not hang on the amount of knowledge a person has. Baptism is a response from a willing heart, and a willing heart is the reality of the new creature. See, in the old covenant, circumcision of the flesh was a sign of Israel's covenant that they had with God. So there was a cutting away of the flesh in the Old Testament, and that was what they pointed to. said, this person has a covenant with God. In the New Testament, it's not the cutting away of flesh. It's the, it's the circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the heart. And now... You point to the circumcision of the heart and you say, that person is in covenant with God. Why? They have a circumcised heart. 
So you might ask, well, what are the signs of a circumcised heart? How do I know this person has a circumcised heart? Well, a changed heart is a circumcised heart. Deuteronomy 30, verse 3 through 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. How exciting is that? Not only will God circumcise your heart, but He'll circumcise the heart of your offspring. That's what it says. I'd like to argue that point, but I can't. It's what it says. <laughs> you see, I'm just like you. I read a verse and I go like, I don't want to believe that. And God says, I'm not asking you what you want. I'm telling you how it is. <laughs> he says it. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God. This is the reason He does it, so that you can and will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That tells me before circumcision I couldn't love God with the uncircumcised heart. It is the circumcised heart that does love God. It's like when that skin was cut off, that flesh was cut away in the Old Testament for somebody to be circumcised in the New Testament, that, that the, the, the doubting heart is cut away. And now you're left with a believing heart. The heart was circumcised. The recalcitrant part, the recalcitrant part of that heart is cut away. The callousness of that heart is cut away and suddenly you're left with a believing heart that's willing, that responds, that wants to repent. So that's what, that's what this is. How do you know a person's heart is, or my heart has been circumcised? You see, a circumcised heart believes in a historical Jesus. The uncircumcised heart cannot believe in a historical Jesus who died, who was buried, and raised again. A circumcised heart believes that that Jesus who rose from the dead is Lord. Before that heart was circumcised, they'll hear a sermon and they'll go like, garbage. Garbage. Jesus died and rose again and now He's Lord. Great. Enjoy your fantasy. <laughs> then the heart gets circumcised. They hear the same message for the second time. They go like, oh, I believe. My heart believes. Uncircumcised heart believes in a historical Jesus who died, was buried, rose again, and is Lord of all. How do you know a heart is circumcised? A circumcised heart is eager to repent. That circumcised heart cannot continue willfully in sin and enjoy it. He can continue in sin, but he'll have remorse for it instead of enjoyment for it. There's a remorse. How many of you can identify with that? Yeah, you go like, I used to love sinning. Now I, 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 I just hate it. Why am I doing it? I don't know, but I hate it. <laughs> you see, your flesh brings you all the way there, and the Bible says for a moment there's pleasure. But then there's just remorse and hurt. That's why the Bible says, blessed. The brokenhearted, the repentant. Thirdly, how do you know a heart has been circumcised? It has a will to obey. It has a will to obey. Fourthly, how do you know a heart is circumcised? 
A circumcised heart loves God. A circumcised heart loves God. In the scripture we just read, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your offspring, so that you will love, so that you will love the Lord your God. You go, but I don't love God perfectly. Welcome to the club. Some days you do, but you ask, how do I know that I love God? How do I know that I love God? Could you turn it a little not so cold? <laughs> how do I know I love God? Who, who has that question in their hearts right now? How do you know if you love God or not? Yeah, I'm wondering if I do. Well, think about it this way. If you love somebody, you do not want zero relationship with them. <laughs> if you love somebody, you actually long to have a relationship with that person. And all the saints said, isn't that true? Man, I love that person. I would love to have a relationship with him. Nobody goes, man, I love that person. I'm just staying away. I would never want a relationship with them. For those who desire a relationship with God, that is the effect of a heart that loves Him. How do I know if I love God? You actually want to have a relationship with God. You want to be with God. Many times people go like, well, you know, it's not like I want to be with God. It's just hell I don't want to be in. Well, that heart does not love God. The person who runs to Christ because he doesn't want to go to hell is not the person who loves God, but the person who wants to have a relationship with God. He wants to know God. He wants to know God. That person there has a love for God. And this is eternal life, that they may know God. That is eternal life. So how do I know I love God? Well... You do not want to have a fractured or broken relationship with the person you love, do you? You actually wish for a healthy, strong relationship with the person that you love. Somebody goes, yeah, I love them. I have a relationship. It's a bad one, but I have one. No, if you love that person, you want to have a good relationship with that person. So in other words, you're not going to be sinning against them and just keep on breaking that relationship down if you love them. So, a heart that loves God is eager for a healthy, strong, close, intimate, good relationship with the Father. Fourthly, or thirdly, how do I know I love someone? It's when you don't want to hurt or offend that person. You want to instead protect them. Love always wants to protect how many of you just get riled up when somebody disses God publicly? You just want to sit them straight. <laughs> it's like, you know, you didn't say that about my dad. <laughs> I'm going to have to fix this right now. <laughs> you do not want to hurt or offend a person you love. You want to protect them. You want to stand up for them. You want to bless them instead. If that is the heart if you see that heart who wants a relationship, wants a good relationship, and wants to protect the relationship they have, and wants to protect the person they have a relationship with, these are all effects of love. This, those are all the outcomes of love. 
That's how you know you have a heart that loves God. That heart there is the heart that has been circumcised. That circumcised heart, the person who has it is the person who needs to get baptized. Because the question we're asking, if you remember, is when do I get baptized? <laughs> when your heart believes, when your heart repents, when your heart loves God. That's the time for you to get baptized. Yeah, but I don't know the doctrines of grace. Get baptized. Number five, if I have been baptized before, should I get baptized again? We'll do that next week. No, kidding. If I've been baptized before, should I get baptized again? Well, let me say this, that the Bible is very clear on this point. In most cases, very clear on this point. The person who places their faith in Christ should get baptized. Never should a person put their faith in Christ and not get baptized when they do that. Many were baptized or sprinkled as babies, but even so, that person needs to choose baptism after placing faith in Christ. They didn't place faith in Christ when they were a baby. They placed faith in Christ later on in life. And when they do that, they need to get baptized. So the logical conclusion is because they believed at the age of 12 or whenever it was, they need to get baptized after that. That's what the Bible, that's the model the Bible gives us. Yeah, but they've been sprinkled. You, uh, you believed, when did you believe in Christ? When, when did He become the Lord of your life? When did your eyes open? When did your ears open? When was your heart circumcised? When did you love God? When did you start believing God? When did you start repenting for your sins? Get baptized. Right after that. Even if you have been sprinkled multiple times. Right? Or baptized in, in a different way. So that's the one issue. Baptism doesn't save. It's the, res, it's, the res, it's, it's the action a saved person takes the moment they get saved. In other words, adult baptism is a public profession of your faith, not your parents' faith. That is the biblical way of baptism. Now, what if a person feels like they did not understand baptism the first time they were baptized? Uh, they just did it because everybody was getting baptized, and that's what happened to me initially. I didn't understand English. I was on a youth camp, and an English youth camp. And uh, so the pastor, they were, they, he was teaching. I, I never, never knew what they were teaching. And he, English wasn't my first language. And so what was Afrikaans? The year is good, broer. That's Afrikaans. Grote God on die eer. That's great God Almighty. Something like that. So I was at this camp, spoke Afrikaans only, and, and the pastor goes like, but you, you know, I'm like, what about me? He says, yeah, me? Yeah, you. I'm like, oh, okay. Everybody else was like, hey. <laughs> that was about it. I didn't want to be left out. But anyhow, what happens if a person got baptized, they had no idea what they were doing. They were just going with the flow. And what about the question that they were saved? They question that they were saved the first time they were baptized. They question that they were saved when they got baptized. They believe they just got saved. Well, I have three suggestions for you. And the first is ask God for wisdom regarding your situation. This is important. Ask God for wisdom regarding your situation. James 1 verse 5 
tells you to do so. If anyone lacks wisdom about anything, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The wisdom will be given to him. My second suggestion for you is if your conscience is unsure, if your conscience is unsure, then remember you are better off with a peaceful conscience than with a burdened one. If your conscience is unsure, then make it sure. Because you live before God with a conscience. Romans chapter 14, 23 says this, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. And if you're wondering if this is the right thing to do and you do it, you'll be, you, you know, you'll be sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So my second suggestion is, if your conscience is unsure, then remember you are better off with a peaceful conscience, a peaceful conscience, than a burdened one. And number three, my third suggestion is, how would I, how would I answer Christ on that great day when I see Him? How will I answer Christ on that great day when I see Him? Well, I wasn't sure if, if I should, should go ahead and obey you and in this because I didn't know if you really asked me to do that. I wasn't sure if you really wanted me to do that, so I didn't do it at all. Right? <laughs> I would love to be in trouble by God with God that day going like, Jacques, I told you to give less, but you kept giving more and more. I told you to serve less, but you just kept on serving more and more. Why did you do that? I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> I'm sorry. As opposed to, so I told you to, but you didn't do nothing? Well, you know, it was hard, you know. <laughs> I would much rather get in trouble for doing things beyond than lesser. Number six, final question. How soon after faith in Christ should I get baptized? This is an easy, easy question to answer. Many churches expect parishioners to first attend a class before getting baptized. Some do, some don't. I'm not opposed to that. If the class is two years long, I am opposed to that. However, even though we have no directive from Scriptures or no direct command from the Word of God as to how soon after salvation I should get baptized, we do have many examples, though. First, the Ethiopian with Philip was baptized the same day he believed. Remember, he was in the, he was in the chariot. Philip was running next to the horses. And this Ethiopian was reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip was going like, hey, what are you reading? He goes, Isaiah, do you know what you're reading? Uh, why don't you jump in and explain to me? He did. After he explained to him, Jesus, the Messiah, the Ethiopian, which probably cost him his job, by the way, said, stop the horses. There's water. What stops me? He says, nothing. Let's go. Immediately got baptized. Acts 8, 26. Secondly, we have Paul, who was baptized three days after his Damascus his road to Damascus experience, Acts chapter 9. Thirdly, we have a woman <clears throat> baptized the same day that she believed in Acts chapter 16, 15, unnamed woman. 
Then in uh, the, Philippian, the Philippian jailer and his family were baptized the same night they believed, Acts 16, 33. We see 3,000 believers were baptized on the same day they believed when the, when the ch church began at Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The moment they believed, they got baptized. So it's important for us to have these questions clear in our mind. We only take directives from scriptures and we only bind our conscience with what the Word of God says. Don't feel guilty over things the Bible does not tell you to do. And don't feel not guilty over the things that the Bible does tell you to do. <laughs> right? I'm not trying to make anybody not feel guilty over stuff. I'm just saying your conscience needs to be bound by Scripture and Scripture alone. Not by parents, not by family members, not by anybody else, but by Scriptures, right? <laughs> I got a supporter right here. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying... <laughs> So baptism is important. It does so much to us. It gives us an identity. It puts a stake in the ground and we know what we can look to when we go through hard times, when we go through uncertainty. Many things change for us. Our status has changed. It is a naming ceremony as our names change. It's, my, it's the tomb and the womb. It's where I died yourself and where I'm birthed. And this is my, my very dramatic display of what is true for me spiritually. Amen. Does that bring some clarity? Amen.